higher education is falling off a cliff. It's what we call the demographic cliff, and it's coming in 2025. And all those professors that have been telling their students uh, that children are bad uh, are now going to be out of a job. A lot of schools are going to be closing. And a lot of those Catholic schools that you mentioned where folks go to and end up losing their faith, those schools have lost their mission and they're not going to survive this demographic cliff. Hey everyone, welcome to the Catholic Link Show. We're Drew and Katie Taylor. And today we have a really special guest on and a really exciting uh, talk that we are going to be discussing about just the beauty and the awesomeness of the scriptures. So Dr. John Bergsma is joining us. He is a professor of theology at Steubenville. And I wrote this down because it's tough to say, Vice President for Biblical Theology and Mission Effectiveness at the St. Paul Center. So Dr. Bergsma, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be on with you, Drew and Katie. I didn't tell him I was going to say this, but uh, we have a lot of friends and family that are Steubenville grads. And I, I was talking to them about this interview and they, they said they were laughing because when they showed up to Steubenville, they had heard about Dr. Scott Hahn and they were like, yeah, like I'm really excited to take some classes from Dr. Scott Hahn. And they said their upperclassmen were like, yeah, Dr. Scott Hahn, like he's, he's good, good. But Dr. John Bergsma. So I was like, I was really excited about this. I was yes. like, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> so, um, and, and I know that, that you have a really interesting um, testimony and kind of journey that, that brought you here. So could you give our listeners maybe the, the two minute version of your the origin story and how you ended up becoming Catholic and, and being a theology teacher at Franciscan. Sure, Drew. Well, like you, I have a military connection. So my uh, dad was a U.S. Navy chaplain and I grew up on Navy and Marine Corps bases all over. And then at age 18, headed to West Michigan uh, to follow my dad's footsteps and be a pastor. You know, so I went to our denominational school, obviously Protestant at that time. We were Dutch Calvinists was, was like uh, Presbyterians with wooden shoes and windmill cookies is how I like to describe it. Uh, so went to uh, undergrad as a pre-seminary student and then went to seminary, got married, uh, began serving in a church in the downtown area in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. That experience of actually doing ministry and coming into contact with spiritual realities directly began to move me towards the Catholic Church as I began to realize that certain Protestant principles like salvation by faith alone or the Bible alone just were inadequate to really cope with the spiritual realities when you're really trying to live as a disciple of Christ and build up a local congregation. And so that, you know, beginning to doubt those uh, Protestant principles set me in a lot of turmoil. I decided to go back to school um, and try to sort out my head and, and get some more theological training um, in God's providence. Uh, the one graduate school in theology that got back to me in the biggest way was the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. They gave me a great offer uh, for a fellowship and they were so close by. I already had four kids at that time. So went down there uh, planning to study with a Protestant who was teaching on the theology faculty and uh, get paid by Catholics. I mean, how can you beat that? Kind of like robbing the Egyptians, right? And uh, But of course, the Lord had uh, other plans in mind. I got down there. What I did not expect was to meet such amazing Catholic young couples 
in the graduate program uh, at the University of Notre Dame. These are people whose spirituality really impressed me, and they had answers to theological questions that I did not think could be answered. And so I, I befriended uh, or was befriended by some great Catholic uh, young people at the University of Notre Dame. They got me to read the Church Fathers. When I started coming across the testimonies in the Church Fathers to the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, I was absolutely blown away. And within about a day and a half of reading, for example, St. Ignatius of Antioch, where he says, um, stay away from anyone who refuses to confess the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raised for our salvation. I was so convicted by that. Um, and again, within about 36 hours of reading that, I decided I have to become Catholic. Um, that, that began a huge, crazy journey. Uh, into the church for the next 18 months, finally accepted into the church, received into the church, confirmed February 24th, 2001, finished up my program there at the University of Notre Dame, got to meet Scott Hahn through my sponsor. Uh, he invited me to Steubenville, came to Steubenville to work with Dr. Scott Hahn, got hired by Franciscan University of Steubenville to teach uh, scripture back in 2004, almost 20 years now been teaching scripture at Franciscan University. Ah, oh, what an incredible story and testimony to the Eucharist, this time of Eucharistic revival to hear like its power in your conversion. I too can very much relate to the exploring all options, reading that uh, early church fathers and coupled with John chapter six and being like, I don't really have an option when it, if I believe that Christ is the, like, I'm kind of limited on the, on the actual <laughs> choice here. Huh? Yeah. Okay, Lord. Uh, but that uh, gift, I also find it incredibly impressive that you were able to grapple with that with four small children. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, I, I can barely grapple with what I'm going to have for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> it's a big, deep, <laughs> deep concepts to be, yeah. to be doing with limited sleep. Um, but yes. what a beautiful, I think for a lot of our listeners, as they dive into scripture, I think it's easy to be like, okay, I've read the Bible. But now what? Like, okay, like I believe that Jesus is Lord, but how do I actually pray? Where do I take this? Um, do I continue studying deeper? What are what are kind of the paths forward that you recommend as a professor of scripture for 20 years? <laughs> sure. Oh, that's a huge question. And um, I mean, uh, you know, there are so many great books out there. Um, there's so many great programs. Um, I'll just you know, focus on one that we've begun at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology to address just what you're talking about, which is where do I go after that initial stage? So I believe in the Bible. I believe in the church. Um, I know that there's so much more for me. I want to grow in holiness. Um, where do I go? Well, to kind of answer that, we at the St. Paul Center have started what we call Emmaus Academy, which is kind of like a, a next step um, faith formation, uh, service, you know, streaming service, really kind of like Netflix for the next step of, uh, 
of your Catholic life, um, where we got some of the, you know, so literally some of the best in the world, uh, Bible studies, um, talks, uh, courses, you know, entire short mini courses on different aspects of the Christian life. So, you know, Katie, you bring up a great question, like, how do I pray? Well, very fortunately here in the Ohio Valley, we're near Pittsburgh, Ryham, we have like this local mystic uh, named Father Boniface Hicks. Ah. One of our favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's this amazing Benedictine, uh, you know, who kind of walks about three feet off the ground um, right over here close to us about two hours away in Latrobe. And he did this amazing course for us on personal prayer. And he's got a book out uh, with Emmaus, uh, Emmaus Road on personal prayer, did this fantastic course. And so this course now, I think it's like a, I think it's like a 12 part course. Each, each session is about a half hour where Father Boniface is teaching us how to pray. And, um, you know, I, I've just begun taking it myself. And, I, you know, I've been working on prayer for, you know, 30 years, 20 years now as a Catholic, and I'm learning stuff. And it's just so fantastic. So we have that out on, on, Emmaus, Academ on Emmaus Academy. I teach a course on the Gospels. Here I've got a mini course of about uh, 12 sessions uh, going through the four Gospels. And yeah, it's totally targeted for folks that, you know, I'm familiar with the Bible, you know, read through the Bible in a year with Father Schmitz, something like that. And now I want to, you know, focus on something, get go a little bit deeper. And so we, we get into the four Gospels and their structure and the different points that the different Gospel authors are trying to make, just to try to get to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, John as personal friends, but also appreciate uh, what they wrote uh, to a deeper degree, get into maybe that Jewish background that they were bringing to uh, the writing of the biography of Jesus. Um, so we have this deeper appreciation of God's word, you know. So, you know, what I, what I keep coming back to is Acts 8.31, where um, you have the Ethiopian eunuch, and of course he's sitting in his chariot, reading from Isaiah 53 and Philip led by the spirit to come alongside. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he comes back and says, how can I, unless somebody guides me, right? And that's, that's so true. Um, you know, uh, I grew up in a tradition where we really emphasize that, uh, oh, you can take your Bible off by yourself and you just pray to the Holy Spirit and you're going to get this, you're going to get this inspiration. That actually didn't lead to some very good things. <laughs> <laughs> because people people go off, um, uh, you know, w without a lot of preparation and read a line that they take out of context and then think that the Holy Spirit is telling them something. And um, and it can lead to some real misunderstandings of Scripture. Um, really, when you look at the church, the church is this chain of discipleship where there's always somebody that we can help ourselves to bring them along to a higher level but we in turn always need somebody's help to move to that next step ourselves and so you know my 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 protestant youth pastor when i was 15 always told me you know stay in the chain of discipleship there should always be somebody that's helping you make the next step that's a little bit farther along than you are and you should be looking behind yourself at 
somebody that you can help make that next step. And so Emmaus Academy is kind of one of our answers to this problem of like, how do I make that next step? And, um, you, you know, we have so many fantastic teachers at Franciscan and in this area, you know, and, and from outside of the area as well. we got some teachers that are coming in from like Nina Harriman's amazing Bible scholar from San Francisco that flew out here and, and shot a whole course on thirsting for the spirit in the Christian life. And, uh, you know, everybody knows Dr. Scott Hahn, but not everybody knows some of these lesser known uh, amazing spiritual savants uh, that that we've come into encounter and we're on a mission to make their um, spiritual teaching more widely available uh, to Catholics or at that level to receive it. So I'm really excited about it. So, oh man, there's so much to, oh. to pull apart there. That's so good. <laughs> I, I guess like what, what stood out to me as you were talking is this um, kind of this play back and forth of like, how do we go, uh, how do we grow closer to Christ or how do we go deeper and in some ways where there's two ends of the spectrum where it's like, oh, I'll just follow my heart. It's just me and Jesus. And, you know, we just kind of do our thing. And maybe the the other end of that spectrum uh, in a bad sense is just the purely intellectual, like you almost you study Jesus like a textbook. Um, but but where the, the real depth and the real beauty comes from is in the relationship with Christ. But but part of that is learning more about him. So like as as you start to learn um so a new aspect of the gospels, maybe a little bit about the writers and what they were trying to portray. Now you go back and you read the gospels and you go, it, it kind of puts it in a new light for you. And, and you're under, I mean, God is so, uh, I mean, it's infinite, right? But it's like, he, he is so expansive in, in trying to grasp him. Sometimes it's like, like grabbing jello. Um, but, <laughs> but if we just take our little bowl and, you know, have little pieces of it, then, then we can digest it by, 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 I don't know. Does, does that kind of, um, does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, um, our love, <clears throat> you can't love what you don't know. Right. So, um, the church fathers and, and the great theologians like, you know, Augustine, Aquinas, uh, they talk about the relationship between knowledge and love. And so when we grow in our knowledge of God, obviously that enables us to love him more. And likewise, in the scriptures, as we grow in our knowledge of scriptures, um, the knowledge of other scriptures, we're able to love God's word uh, to a greater degree. And so that, that is the challenge when we approach scripture is to know it better so that we can grow more deeply in our love. What you don't want to have is what sometimes I had, for example, in my education where I took a college course in religion and the person teaching the scripture was not himself in love with God or with the word of God, was kind of, you know, um, ambivalent, kind of agnostic in his relationship to God and uh, kind of skeptical in his relationship to God's word. So then you have... Um, then you have just kind of an intellectual knowledge and in that you, you're, you're studying the word of God as if you're putting it under a microscope or something like you're, you're testing it in a lab. And um, that's not appropriate because the word of God ultimately is a person and you don't, you know, subject a person to scientific experimentation. You know, um, you, you enter into a relationship with a person. Right. And so um, uh, you're, your manner of approach to Bible has to take into account the fact that 
the word of God is ultimately Jesus, who's this living person that w- wants to enter into a relationship with us. Now we can grow in our knowledge of him and our understanding. And a lot of that can be intellectual learning, you know, facts and background, et cetera, but it always has to be directed towards love. And so, you know, St. Augustine, that's his, his primary, his, his highest principle about the interpretation of scripture in his book um, on Christian doctrine, which is a famous treatise of his on really about the interpretation of the Bible. And what it comes down to is his, his highest guiding principle is the principle of love. And he says the, the Bible interpreter who is properly trained and under understanding uh, makes his way to the goal of love by the road. So he travels by the road, up the hill, as it were, to the castle of love. Now he says the untrained person uh, might go off the road and just like walk across the field and climb walls and trees and stuff like that. But as long as you get to love, you'll be okay. And so St. Augustine has, yeah, that, that's the overarching principle. So anyway, at Emmaus Academy and in my own personal work as well, you know, we try to stay on the road, but we also try to always get to the love of God, which is our ultimate goal. I think that's such a good point of why Emmaus Academy and why that like is a gift to the church. I, so we got to look into it and try some of the courses. And I I think back to, you know, 10 years ago throwing my conversion process, but even like post-conversion, I was out of college and I was just trying to ingest as much like as I possibly could. But sometimes the like hour-long separated talks, although forming me in a beautiful way, this breaking through the process, like technology mm-hmm. has brought us so so yeah, yeah. far from my CDs in my car. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lighthouse Catholic Media CDs did great. Were, were the jam back in the day. <laughs> and yeah. so the, the ability day. while I'm yeah driving to work to listen even to these talks, um, I we listen to your talks on the uh, Gospels and I think on the Evangelists. And I was like, I feel like I just went to a Franciscan university class. Yeah. And so I think for people who are like thirsting for this theology, in advanced learning mm-hmm. to continue to develop, that it's such a gift if going and getting your master's in theology is not necessarily the, the option right now yeah. um, or where God is calling you and your life. And so thank you. Thank you for letting us just kind of sneak in. I felt like <laughs> yeah, I was auditing the class. Auditing, yeah. so I was like, oh, I'm just going to slip in here. <laughs> but um, even to just have those resources. Yeah. So um, it, here's an interesting kind of question. And and uh, as a uh, as a disclaimer, uh, Dr. John Bergsma's uh, thoughts do not represent Franciscan University uh, Studentville as a whole. But I, I would love I would love to talk about um, just higher education right now, because it's something that, uh, you know, obviously, like we, uh, Katie and I went to the Air Force Academy, and we bought, both got our master's um, from a Christian uh, college and in, in, in theology. But, you know, I think we're, we as parents are looking, you know, we have a lot of young kids, and we're kind of looking forward into the future and saying, like, 
okay, what are we preparing our children for in education-wise as kind of the goal? And we're, we're looking out and it seems like the landscape of higher education has changed quite a bit where we have you know, some friends that are graduating from these colleges, um, they have $200,000 worth of debt and, and some of them have even lost their faith going to you know, Catholic mm -hmm. colleges and, and what that looks like. So I'm, I'm so curious as someone who's just been in um, this field for so long, like how have you seen higher education change? What do you think uh, are, you know, are, is there still some some beauty that's that's there and some goodness? And then also like, what is that gonna look like moving forward? Yeah, yeah, that's a huge question. <laughs> and, uh, you know, could talk for hours about that, write books about it, people have written books about it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll try to give like a three minute response. Um, one thing that's happening is um, higher education is falling off a cliff. It's what we call the demographic cliff, and it's coming in 2025. And in 2025, the cohort of graduating high school seniors drops by 20%, and it continues to decline thereafter. You know, that's amazing. You know, if you even have like a 1% difference year over year, we're talking about like a 20% difference. So the fact of the matter is, um, uh, higher education has been telling people not to get married, not to have children, that children are bad for the planet, etc. They've been telling them that since I was born in 1971. And it's finally come home to roost. And all those professors that have been telling their students uh, that children are bad uh, are now going to be out of a job because there is a huge constriction, a huge constriction in the uh, higher education market. And a lot of schools are going to be closing. And a lot of those Catholic schools that you mentioned where folks go to and end up losing their faith, those schools have lost their mission and they're not going to survive this demographic cliff that's coming. So that's one thing I'm, I would say about higher education. Um, I'd also say as someone who's been in higher education virtually my whole life, because when I was four, my dad was taking a master's degree at Princeton and we actually lived on the campus of Princeton. Um, the Navy was paying for it. <laughs> my dad uh, got a, you know, a, a free ride to go back for a year to take a, a master's in theology from Princeton University, uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And my dad would come home and tell stories about you know, his profs uh, denying the virgin birth and the resurrection in class to these, you know, theology students. So th this kind of thing is this kind of, you know, um, faithlessness has been around for a long time and it's just getting worse. And uh, what I would say to parents is don't send your children to a woke university. Don't even do it better that they not have an edu uh, university education that they, that they go and get confused. And I think that parents don't realize how much influence professors can have over your children. You're giving, you're entrusting your students for 40 hours with this intellectual, you know, that's the, that's how many uh, class, uh, class hours you have in a typical college course is 40 hours. And so do you want to entrust your child uh, to, to put your child for 40 hours under the tutelage of a Marxist? Okay. That's what you're doing if you're going to send your kid to most schools and, and not just one Marxist, but they take, you know, 
uh, what, um, uh, like a, a hundred courses in the, in the time of their, their college career. And so they're, they're going to get this, um, all over. And I live in this world. And so I see what the effect that has, there's only a very small number of schools that I would feel comfortable sending my uh, kids to, and all of them are on what we call the Newman guide. So I say to parents is parents check out the, um, uh, the, the Newman guide, uh, to Catholic higher education and don't even think about sending your kids anywhere else because it's really diabolical. It's literally diabolical these days. Now, having said that, I'm a great believer in liberal arts education. I'm a great believer in the opening up of the mind and the reading of the great classics and entering into the great conversation with the great thinkers, you know, Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and Aquinas and Augustine. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And we have this great uh, Catholic intellectual tradition, but sadly, most uh, institutions of higher education in uh, the Western world at this time really are against that great conversation and are working to undermine it. That's a great tragedy, um, but uh, it still exists in, in a few institutions. You got to find where those institutions are. And then if you really want your kid to have that college uh, uh, experience of learning the the great conversation with the great thinkers, you know, it's probably going to involve a sacrifice to send them to a place where uh, they're going to have that opportunity. Yeah. Oh, so Man. many good points there. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh. And I don't, it's like, it's, it's scary hearing you say that, but I don't think it's an understatement no. of, of the landscape of, of what we have right now. I think that the Newman guide for uh, just colleges and, and, um, man is is so important and i think too like when you look at parishes or just the, the landscape of our church right now you know one thing that i love about um the franciscan and the grads and the friends there is like they almost have this uh charismatic passion right it's it's charismatic but it's it's yeah it's highly um orthodoxy and and traditional and um, and there's such a beauty in that where, where you take the goodness of the tradition of the faith, but you're also allowing the spirit to move through that and to, um, yeah, to, to evangelize. And I think that that really is the, the future of, of where our church is going and, and the parishes that aren't embracing that, that are either, um, you know, just so, so, oh man, yeah. Breaking apart. And lacking unity. Yes. As a church. Right. Um, yeah. Div um, like divisive in that way, mm -hmm. or on the other side, right. Are just, are, are so liberal to the sense that they're, they're basically embracing a lot of this wokeness. Like I think a lot of those are definitely going to die out. Whereas, and what you're going to be left with is this just authentic faith, authentic joy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's going to happen in parishes. I think that's going to happen in um, grade schools in high school and in higher education where it's like the chaff is going to get burnt off. And, right. and, and I think COVID almost accelerated that yeah. where you're just like, okay, like the lukewarm people are gone and they don't feel like they have to come back. But what's left is going to be this core, these coals that are just um, going to burn brighter than, than they would have uh, had it not been the case. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this happens throughout. It's, um, you know, it's kind of, it's almost like nature where you get a wildfire that burns through a forest and it gets rid of a whole bunch of dead wood. And, you know, it looks like no life is going to come from that, but actually forest fires 
are the stage for new life to come forth. It clears the ground and then you see all these beautiful plants coming up in those ashes, fertilized by, uh, you know, what, what, what was before and what had been burnt off. And, uh, and a, a couple of years later, you come back and like, wow, you know, look at all this life that's here. And so times of purification like COVID and um, some of the other kind of, uh, you know, really uh, tragic, you know, cultural wildfires, you know, like, like wokeism that has just been sweeping through are going to be like a forest fire, um, but in, in within the church as well. And it's, it may lead to, you know, frankly, some devastation in some places where you kind of burnt over and you kind of start from the beginning. But the beauty of that is uh, the Lord has planted those seeds uh, deep and those seeds of faith come up fresh. And in the wake of uh, what's been cleared off, um, you can make uh, some spiritual strides as individuals as well as communities that would not be possible when all the dead wood, so to speak, is piled on top. So there's, I think we're really, you know, as, as you say, Drew, entering into a period of cleansing and purification. Uh, not just in our country, but around the world. But it's going to lead to that springtime that John Paul II uh, foresaw so long ago. And really, it already has in many ways. You know, it's uh, not not every place in the world is at that same progression. But I think at, at Franciscan, we've been really privileged to, you know, actually be watching that springtime taking place where we are. Uh, but it has to you know, reach other parts of uh, the church as well. I'm, I'm going to put you on, on the spot here because I'm so curious. What, because th there really are these higher institutions, these uh, colleges that that really are beacons of hope and light um, that we can send our kids to. So what are just some that, that you've heard of or that you'd be like, yep, I'd be okay. Because we love Franciscan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Are there other yeah. options? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, you know, each one has a different character, but there's there's some smaller schools like uh, Christendom in Virginia and Thomas Aquinas uh, uh, College in California, which is a kind of a, a great books school. Uh, those are smaller liberal arts schools that are very, very strong in the faith. Um, there's Belmont Abbey uh, in the south. That's an excellent school. Um, uh, Benedictine in Atchison, Kansas has a great reputation, great people teaching there. Um, University of Dallas has a, a strong reputation for, um, you know, really rigorous education within the Catholic uh, tradition. Uh, Ave, uh, Ave Maria University uh, near Naples, Florida uh, is a newcomer uh, to the game, um, but they have um, really been doing wonderful things down there. Um, both undergraduate and uh, graduate education. And uh, there's been some real uh, signs of, of life um, and uh, vitality at Catholic University of America uh, in DC. Um, I know several of my students have gone down there to uh, work in uh, student life um, for the school. And they've had a couple of uh, really uh, great presidents who've uh, really embrace the Catholic identity of the school. Um, so there's good things happening there. You know, every institution is going to have its pros and cons and uh, nobody's perfect. We're certainly not perfect at Franciscan. <laughs> God's working on us every day, but uh, it, it is good that 
um, there are some options out there. It's not like there's only one school in the whole country that is Catholic and Orthodox. Um, in some nations, it is like that. Some countries of the world, there's there's only a single Catholic institution that's solid in the whole country, or maybe none at all. <laughs> and, uh, in the U.S., we're blessed that there's there's more than one, and uh, very thankful for that. Yeah, praise be to God. I think to shift focus uh, and be able to use our time with a biblical scholar, I would love to know if there's something you would want to share about the evangelist, maybe something that we would know, something that, um, yeah, just our listeners could grow in deeper relationship with them, a favorite fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I like to think about um, – does everybody know where each evangelist appears in their own gospel? And I think if we start with John, uh, everybody's like, okay, yeah, well, John is at the foot of the cross. I know that. And John's leaning against the Lord's uh, chest at the last supper. So, and we all know that John is the mysterious disciple that Jesus loves, you know, and then there's the big reveal at the end of the gospel where it turns out, oh, okay, he's the guy writing this story. Um, so John's pretty easy. And then the next easiest is probably Matthew. Like, okay, where does Matthew appear in his own gospel? Oh yeah, Matthew 9, 9. That's where um, Jesus walks by and calls Matthew from the tax collector's booth. And, um, and thereafter, he's his disciple. Now, Mark and Luke are difficult, um, but uh, Mark... Um, there's a very strong church tradition that there's two really, really odd verses of the Gospel of Mark. Mark 14, 51 and 52 mentioned that there was a young man who followed Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. And when the guards showed up, they grabbed him and he was only wearing a single linen garment and he slipped out of his garment and ran away naked. That's <laughs> like, OK, how do I take that to my prayer? Our gospel passage for the day, you know. Okay, that's Mark 14, 51 and 52. This teenage speaker in the garden. Um, but that is almost certainly Mark himself. You know, is it, there, there's good reason to believe that there's several factors that that give credence to that, as well as a ancient church tradition. That's actually Mark. It, Mark's other name was John. He was known as John Mark. He had a double name. He's mentioned as John Mark in in the book of Acts, for example, and uh, yeah, he paints himself in in those in those two little verses in his own gospel. So that's where he appears. And then with Luke, it's uh, it's it's very subtle too, and and this is not ex exactly certain, but in the Emmaus Road episode, we know that there were two guys on the road to Emmaus, and one is identified, and he's called Cleophas. And strangely, the other guy that was there on the road is never mentioned. And there is a tradition that links that other guy who's unmentioned as Luke, the author of the gospel. And that was his one, you know, encounter with Christ. So a possibility. Not everybody holds to that, but uh, that may be where Luke appears in his own gospel. So, but I just, I just throw that out, Katie, because I really want folks to, to get the idea that the gospel authors were living, breathing human beings. They struggled to live the Christian life just like you and I did, do. They struggled to fight that battle of prayer every day. They were 
They were men of their time. They were uh, uh, Jews who lived in that first century and took part in that culture. And these events that take place in the gospel, it's not like Star Wars, where this is in you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's not anything like that. No, it's in the middle of human history. It's, you know, when Augustus was emperor and, and uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria and, and Pontius Pilate was, you know, governor of Judea. Like, this is his, historical stuff. We have archaeology. We can dig stuff up from this time. We have books of history about this time. This is not fable, legend, myth, etc. It really is God coming down into the middle of human history, flesh and blood, and, and making a, a permanent change in human history and human reality. That's what the Gospels are all about. Mm-hmm. That, that made me think as you were saying, uh, you know, as we've been talking about just learning more and, and you don't, you can't love what you don't know. And I would, I would highly recommend for our listeners, anyone who gets a chance to visit the Holy Land, um, to do so. I think some, some people have called it the fifth gospel in the sense of like, cause we, we were blessed enough to be able to go about 12 years ago and just to, to walk in the, these places. And you like, you're like, I I've read about this. This is a real, the sea of Galilee is a real place. Jerusalem is like, Jesus walked these steps and it, it just made it so concrete for me. So I love what you're saying about uh, the evangelist and, and these are, these are real people, you know, writing in a real time, um, in human history that's changed that. And I think learning about uh, the, the Jewish culture at the time, about even just the Old Testament and and how those things relate to the New Testament just puts it in such a, such a I don't know, like the light bulb just kind of turns on of the spirit and and you're able to really enter into that uh, in a way where it's, it's not science fiction. This is, this yeah. actually happened and it is happening um, in real life. So, um, on that note, so uh, we we have a lot of uh, couples that you know are people who are married that that listen to this podcast. Do you do you have any advice for couples who are uh, again at that stage where um, you know we've, we've we've we're we're all in for Christ. We're we're trying to live, but we're changing diapers, and you know we're just like in the trenches of, of young kids. And like, how do we how do we um, grow in our love for scripture practically? Yes, that's a great question. So many things that can be said about that. I'll try to limit myself to three suggestions. Um, Okay. One thing is I am a huge advocate of carrying a Bible with you. And I even have a a particular edition that I especially recommend the, the, the New Testament that I'm holding up here. This comes from Scepter Press. It's, uh, it's called the Confraternity uh, Pocket New Testament. And what, what I like so much about it is that it's, it's broken up into a reading from the New Testament for every day of the year. So it makes it super simple. You just turn to the day of the year. You read the passage. It usually takes only three minutes. And in three minutes a day, you can read through the New Testament every year. And this is so great. It fits in a pocket. Um, it's about the size of a cell phone. So instead of checking your mail, you can check your mail from Jesus, you know, which is, which is this, you know, you've got mail, okay, every day. And you keep that with you. And then when you're, you're talking about, you know, changing diapers and, and um, you know, going to the grocery store, totally get that. That's my life. You know, I do the grocery st- shopping. I do most of the, 
cooking in our family and and so on and uh, so very much into that and the great thing about carrying that new testament with you though is when you're stuck you know in the in the uh, aisle at the supermarket behind somebody who's got 15 items in the 12 item uh you know express lane <laughs> and so you're stuck there for a couple of minutes and the instinct is to reach to your cell phone instead you grab your bible and you do your little uh, your bible reading so that's one thing i would suggest uh another thing is um uh i, I leave a bible out you know on a on a table or on a on a bookshelf open to the book of psalms and uh and i try to read uh, a psalm every every three hours and what i do is i take the um the day of the month okay so it's the 30th today so uh read psalm 30 and then you add you do that at 6 a.m add 30 and at 9 a.m you read uh psalm 60 and then at noon you read psalm 90 and at 3 p.m you read psalm 120 and at uh, 6 p.m you would read psalm 150 and i just leave that out and and this is great for moms too if you're you know if you're mostly at home during the day leave a bible out and then you just pass it by and you try to do that and it's kind of like a poor man's uh, liturgy of the hours you know i actually learned this from my mother and uh, i love to do that and also a proverb for the day you know because the book of proverbs has 31 chapters and so you can read uh, one chapter from Proverbs a day. This is a way of, you know, getting that in. And then my third suggestion is, hey, Emmaus Academy. We've got these 20-minute, you know, 25-minute lessons on Scripture and Bible studies, great stuff. And with Emmaus Academy, you get all the kind of the legacy stuff that the St. Paul Center has put out, like Journey Through Scripture, amazing stuff. I know we kind of like as couples, we like to read, maybe watch a Hallmark movie or something in the evening. We're kind of relaxing together. That's great. But before you go to the Hallmark movie, just watch 20 minutes, you know, of Bible study together with Dr. Scott Hahn or uh, Matt Leonard or, you know, uh, other great people. And, um, you know, some of the some of the production value is very great. It's enjoyable. It's fun to watch and it's getting you into into scripture together as a couple and um yeah and you can do that together and, and it's just it's something pleasant and a great way to end the day together ah those are awesome ah. that was so good yeah and I, I would just i would just reiterate um the emmaus academy and i, I was thinking about it as we were going through and, and checking out the different series and stuff i think it's the cool part about it is it's so accessible in the sense that if you are single or, or on your own like you can go through this and you'll get a ton out of it if you're married and you want to go through it with your spouse, like the, the two of you will get so much out of that. Or exactly. if you have like a men's group or a women's group or a Bible study or something like you, you don't have to think those. about, yeah, you're yeah. just like, oh, I don't I don't know what we can do next. It's just like, well, what's the next, you know, course that we can take and, and go from there. And um, I think just having that is such an amazing resource. It's so cool. It's so cool to be Catholic right now because there's so many amazing resources out there um, to help people grow in their faith. Uh, which is so cool. So uh, anything I missed before lightning round? I think we're off. All right, round. here we go. Lightning round. Uh, we never said it would be easy coming on the Catholic Link show. So you're <laughs> going to have to choose. The first one is, uh, who is your favorite saint? Okay. Well, this is kind of like asking, who is your favorite child <laughs> out, of, out of my eight? So uh, first of all, okay, the Blessed Mother is off the table because she's 
everybody's favorite. So after the Blessed Mother, uh, I'd say the Apostle John, uh, after him I was ultimately named. Uh, my favorite author of scripture. I have a great, uh, great devotion to the Apostle John, the evangelist. I like that. Oh, so good. What is your favorite devotion? Yes. Uh, the Divine Mercy Chaplet uh, is my favorite devotion. I love to pray it with my daughter uh, who spent a little time as an aspirant to a religious order uh, that had a great devotion to the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And uh, that's always stuck with her. And uh, when I ride together with her, this is my third daughter. Um, we, we love to pray it together and I get a lot of consolation from that. Mm, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, favorite book recommendation, or maybe like your, your most recommended book that you're telling people to go read. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is, this is going to sound self-serving, but, uh, I, I wrote a little book called yes, there is a God and other answers to life's big questions. And it's kind of like my testimony to the world. Um, it is, uh, it moves from atheism to Catholicism in 150 pages with stick figures. I was going to ask you, Katie, earlier, you said you took my course. I was going to ask you, did you draw? <laughs> I, I was digging the stick figures. Yes. I loved it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, my little book, Yes, There's a God. Um, I think I, I tried there to present in a real uh, uh, succinct way like the big reasons why we should believe in God, Jesus, and the Catholic Church. And um, yeah, it's my favorite little book, my shortest little book. And I would love the whole world to read it. <laughs> I think it's it's the, the basics that folks need to know. No, I, I love that. And I, I find that a lot of authentic people who write books, they write them because there's like, there's a need in the world, you know, people keep asking me about this and there's nothing out there that, you know, is succinct or, or, or engaging or fun that, that people can learn this stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I, I love when authors write books for, to fill a need where they're like, no, the world, the world needs this book. Uh, and then, and when you do something like that, I imagine that it keeps coming up where you're like, people are like, oh, well, what about this? This and you're like, I have the answer for you. Right, I right. spent two years of my life writing this down. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the last question would be, where can people find out more about you, which you everything that you have going on? Yeah, sure. So catholicbibleteacher.com is, will redirect to my website, which is johnbergsma.com. But who can spell Bergsma, right? So catholicbibleteacher.com. And uh, can check out uh, some stuff there, but also check out uh, stpaulcenter.com, just stpaulcenter.com. Not, no, even doesn't even have www at the front. It's just that stpaulcenter.com. Uh, you can check out, and we have you know upcoming events that we listed. Uh, Dr. Han and I usually do a Eucharistic event somewhere in the U.S. once a month, uh, so we may be coming to a parish near you. Uh, and we have a lot of other great events coming up too. So folks can check that out. Yeah. Oh, Dr. Bersman, thank you so much for, yes. for coming on the show. This thank is so you. fun uh, yeah. for us. Hopefully it was uh, valuable for our listeners and then they learned something. I know I'm, I'm going to go back uh, and listen to this again, not just to edit it, but also for myself uh, and, and to kind of pull out some of the nuggets of wisdom. And I'll just say again, uh, just one final plug for Emmaus Academy, because it is such 
such an amazing resource. I mean, people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to uh, to learn this type of stuff that you could literally have at your fingertips in your laptop and be able to share with your friends and family. Um, so it's it's so amazing. I, I really thank you guys for putting that forward. Um, so for our listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we pray that this time will be your link to living the faith like never before. We really are praying for you until next time and God bless.